This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, and welcome to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica Anderson. I'm a Christian freelance writer, mom of two littles, and I'm passionate about helping you live out your best and deepest faith in everyday life. On this podcast, you'll hear from inspiring women, moms, and ministry leaders, authors, and more. Those on mission for God with a message to inspire you in your Christian walk, wherever that may be. Each month, I send out interviews, tips, book reviews, and exclusive giveaways to my email list. If you'd like to receive these things, just head to my website, ericaanderson.com, and sign up. My new book, Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women, comes out this January, and I want you to be the first to know all the details. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and today I'm joined by Chelsea Yeoman of the Human Coalition, and we're going to hear all about that today. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining me. Of course. Glad to be here. Yeah. Well, I guess just kick us off. Let us know who you are, um, a little bit about your background, where you live, your family, that kind of stuff. Yes. Well, I am Chelsea Oman, and I'm the Texas State Director and National Legislative Advisor for Human Coalition. And our organization is a nationwide network of care for women who are seeking abortion. And we meet them where they're at. We connect them with holistic care, things like affordable child care, housing, assistance with domestic abuse and violence, anything really that the the pregnant woman needs on her terms um, to try to help her choose life and to try to help her stabilize her circumstances so that children are born into great homes. And so that's my organization. And then I'm also a lawyer for them. So I come up with policies for them designed towards pregnant women in need, um, policies like the Texas Heartbeat Act to protect unborn children and love thinking, you know, with my legal hat, how to resolve some of these issues. And how long have you been working with them? I've been with them about three years now. Um, And before I was with them, I was doing constitutional law, doing freedom of speech and freedom of religion issues. So kind of been all over and we landed in Austin doing political work and I really love it. So what drew you to working with this issue? Because you really have to care about it to be so involved and you really have to have a passion to probably put up with a lot of the things you have to put up with on a daily basis, especially (laughs) lately. Yes. Yes, you do. I mean, I think it's funny. I don't have this moment in time that was like the moment, but I do feel like my whole life, I really have a mouth on me. I'm opinionated. um, I'm creative and all of that kind of worked together and made me really want to use whatever career path I was on to help other people or to like make an impact for people that I felt like didn't have as loud of a voice as I have. And for a while that was in the constitutional law realm where I was representing people who had everything taken away because of their religious views um, that were unpopular with culture and really felt like defending the defenseless. And then as I was in that, you know, I really felt like what is the, who is the most defenseless person or voiceless person I could think of? And it's children in the womb. I mean, it's the most vulnerable time in somebody's life. You're developing, you have no rights yet. Um, and ultimately their lives are ended in the, in the womb. And so for me, there's just a sense of urgency to take, 
you know, this passion I have for wanting to defend other people and apply it in what I felt like is the most important context you can. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, what are some of the initiatives that you guys have been working on lately or in the past year or so? Oh my gosh, we've been everywhere. So we really have two sides of the policy work that we're doing. Um, One side is meant to help alleviate why women are seeking abortion, the demand for abortion. And so we're working on gaining state programs for women designed to help get them on their feet and care specifically for pregnant women in need. And so we do that through budget amendments and and starting a program, or we'll do it through a bill called the Every Mother Matters Act that essentially says before a woman gets an abortion, she gets an offer of help and assistance, and she gets to know and have access to resources. Because I think so many women um, don't know that they're eligible for a ton of help and assistance. And we we want them to be aware before they make such an important decision. Um, we think that women should be empowered with as much information as possible. And so that's two of the initiatives. And then the other half of the equation is, of course, actually downright protecting children in the womb from abortion and abortion providers who prey on them. And so we worked on the Texas Heartbeat Act and um, we have a protection at conception bill. And then we have a bill that we're designing for the next year. We're not quite ready to talk about yet, but it's really innovative and designed to really meet the trends of the abortion providers where they're illegally um, sending out mail order abortion pills and things like that, uh, that is dangerous for women. And so it's designed to really help make sure women are getting the care that they need. You know, we talked about this before, but uh, I, I just love what you guys are are pushing in terms of getting the information that they need. There is a statistic out there and I'll have to find it that says, you know, uh, some high percentage of women who choose abortion you know, say that they would not choose it if they felt they didn't feel like they had to choose it. Like if they weren't in a, you know, a very bad financial place or whatever. And it's just mind boggling to me that, you know, we're not already doing that across the country, but, you know, when it comes to a place like Planned Parenthood, and maybe you could speak to this, um, they are a business. And if they aren't doing abortions, they aren't making a lot of money. Um, Can you talk about that at all? I am happy to talk about that. I mean, I think the statistic you're referring to is our our statistic. It's that 75% of women who are seeking abortion, we ask every client, if your circumstances were different, would you prefer mm. to parent? And 75% say wow. yes. That's amazing. And I think that's the most important thing anyone can know about why women seek abortion. It's that they don't feel they have a choice and they feel pressured and coerced and stressed out and Usually uh, they don't have a support system who is encouraging them and they feel trapped. And I think abortion providers take advantage of them in their weakness. They profit off of them. And we're here to say, actually, you're, you're capable. We want to empower you to do that. How can we come alongside you and help you? You're smart enough. You're able enough. Let's get you there. And she often feels relief when she knows she has other options. Um, so that's really the first thing is to, if you're going to talk about abortion, you have to talk about why women are really seeking abortion. Um, And then the second thing I'll say about the Planned Parenthood aspect of this is there's this myth out there that Planned Parenthood is somehow providing these great benefits or or healthy help for women who are pregnant. And that's just not the case. 97% of their income comes from abortion. They are not really helping with women with mammograms. They're not helping them with healthy choices. And I think the best evidence of this is in Texas, when the Heartbeat Act was enacted on September 1st, 
instead of opening up stronger gynecological care for women, because now we're going to have more pregnant women than ever in the state of Texas, they shuttered their doors. Mm. Instead of providing healthy pregnancy benefits, accepting Medicaid, serving pregnant women in need, they moved out of state and they're opening abortion super centers. And that's all you need to know about where it's they're so in. true. It's so I mean, true. It, it's, you know, I know it's like constantly over and over again, you hear, oh, abortion is only 3% of our services, but we know, like you said, and maybe 3% of their services, but it's 97% of their income. And that's like, mm-hmm. like you have to know that context in order for it to make sense. Um, mm-hmm. And that is such a great point that I haven't heard anyone make yet. They are shutting down. They're not sticking around to help. And um, in the meantime, of course, there are pregnancy centers um, more nearby women far more than there are abortion centers. And I know that those pregnancy centers are gearing up to help more. And I, I actually heard, you know, some new big new project that Susan B. Anthony List is doing yesterday. And I know that you guys are doing. And so um, it's it's really cool to see that and, and very, very strange to see people denigrate people that are just out there to say, hey, we want to help you. We're excited to help you. I know. I think it's probably the most difficult part of my job is, you know, you hear all these narratives in the media about being pro-life and we're like being pro-life is pro-woman. And it's, there's, we're all entitled to our own opinions, but we're not entitled to our own facts. And so I always say like, let's look at the facts. There are 2,700 pregnancy resource centers across the country and have been for decades. I mean, these are centers that provide holistic care for women, support them as long as they need. And our entire movement is founded on this type of care for women. We love and serve women. And no, we don't provide abortions because we believe that women are better off with their children. Um, And we outnumber abortion clinics three to one. And I'm proud of our work. I'm proud of our nurses. I'm proud of our social workers who are on staff caring for these women day in and day out. And I think, you know, they deserve to have the truth told out there about our movement's love for women. Yeah. And I know I saw on your website and I I know a lot of other places are doing this too, is partnering with churches is a big thing. Um, I've talked to Karna a lot about um, how they have a big focus now. And I think everyone sort of has a bigger focus now on how are we partnering with churches? Because pregnancy centers, of course, they have limited resources. And so how can they be partnering with all the churches in the community to make sure that every woman has access to to a larger sort of pool of support. Um, Can you talk about that uh, part of what you guys are doing? Yes. I think the church component is so important because we have almost a million women a year in our country seeking out abortion and they're in our communities. They're in our churches. They're in our pews. um, We all know them. And so I think having the church involved and willing to go there is crucial to this equation. And it's as simple as doing things like talking about it from the pulpit in a way that's loving and kind, and then creating programs in your church that are helping women get affordable childcare. You could even have a job posting on your website for single moms who need support and jobs. Um, Why not hire them, right? Right. Give them jobs, give them safe housing, give them access to things that you and your community um, are doing as part of your outreach. And I think it should be intuitive and natural for churches to serve women in these ways because women are vulnerable um, in these populations. And we are launching an app designed for churches to do Mm. this. And so it's going to include not just groups like ours, but 
social workers, the foster care system, anyone serving um, vulnerable populations, they can post their needs onto the care portal um, and allow church members or people in our congregation and in our communities to raise their hands to fill those needs. Um, so I think that's a really, that's really so cool. cool option. Yeah. Yeah. When is that coming out? It's coming out this summer. So it's called the Care Portal. And you can, of course, go to humancoalition.org and learn more about it. Sign up for our, our um, listserv so you'll get to hear how you could do that for maybe your own church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know for me, um, you know, I've always been involved, but uh, a few uh, girls from my church and I, we were talking a few weeks back when all this started getting crazy. And, you know, we were all like, we've got to do something like our church is not currently per- partnered with the pregnancy center. And so we met up and, um, you know, we're putting like a page on our church website with all the local resources and national resources I love um, that. and trying to be like here, you know, come here for help, you know, maybe have an email address, something like that, you know, similar to what you're saying. And, um, you know, I think more people just need to, to realize what they can be doing and they want to do it. It's not a matter of people trying to be lazy about it. It's just a matter of mm-hmm. you just need to get the resources and get it moving. And because I know those Amazon wish lists that people put out there for moms just yes. fill up in no time as soon as they they're put do. Out. Yes, they do. I think that's such a great idea and so creative to think through. Let's just put it on our church website. And we resource women with 7,000 referrals. We have 7,000 resources in our resource bank, and that's a lot. And so I think sometimes people get overwhelmed. It's like, where do I even start? There's so many things out there. And that's a good problem to have. Um, And so I love that you're making it simple and streamlined and just getting the information out there is, is half the problem. I love the app. So definitely going to be pushing that out. Um, now on your website, it says you guys have saved over 4,000 from abortion. How do you guys calculate that number? Yeah. So um, essentially when a woman comes, starts the process with us, she is usually seeking an abortion actively, but wants a free sonogram, doesn't want to pay for it at Planned Parenthood, um, or maybe wants some other types of assistance or information. So we, as our nurse is immediately in touch with her and starting to walk her through the process of care and says, is there, how can we help you? What are your needs? Um, And she connects her with a licensed social worker that we have hired. um, And we start identifying her needs from there. And so there is a point in her decision-making process. Sometimes it's when she hears the heartbeat of her child. Sometimes when it's fast and she realizes I can take a deep breath. There's options here. There's safe housing there. Um, someone's going to help me finance and budget here. Like there's just a point in the process where she takes a breath and she says, I can do this. Okay. I can do this. And I have a support system that's going to help me do that. And so we'll commit to years with her if that's Mm -hmm. as long as it takes, but whenever she makes that decision, it's someone on our team or at our local pregnancy resource centers with her who are walking with her sometimes daily um, throughout this process that know when she makes that decision. And so that's kind of how we calculate it. When she turns from, I have an abortion appointment to canceling that abortion appointment and saying, I'm going to keep my child. And we have that kind of relationship and rapport with her where she's, she's working with us and communicating with us. And we're celebrating, celebrating her in that. That's awesome. Um, I think, you know, it's something I've heard so much over the past couple of weeks and, you know, there's really, because we know that it's not really about like, oh, you're not helping enough. Um, you know, no matter how much help we were able to provide people, the pro-abortion side would still be pro-abortion. Like it's just, they throw everything out there. 
but you know, it's like, oh, well, what about universal healthcare? What about universal preschool? What about the kid lives till the 18? And I, I think an important point to make here is like you said, oh, we may even walk with them for years, you know? And I think that's Mm -hmm. amazing. But the point here and in many other cases, when we're helping people is to empower them to stand on their own, ultimately, eventually, as most people want to do. And so um, the idea isn't to say, yes, let's make someone dependent, you know, forever. Um, It's say, how can we help them get to a place where they don't need that anymore? And, um, and I think that's a a wonderful goal. And it's great that there are so many people that are willing to stand up next to women and and help them do that. And so um, anyway, that's just, I wanted to make that point because I think it's an important one. Um, It's just so crazy when I feel, well, what about, you know, if, if you can't, if everything, literally everything is not fully funded, it's like, well, that's so like, they don't deserve life unless they get like, yeah. I mean, there's, really, there's <laughs> free Medicaid, really an argument to kill the poor is what that argument is. Yes. That, that, the, that the answer to poverty is killing those who are in poverty, um, which I think is an astounding argument. When you really break that argument down, it's incredibly discriminatory um, in our country. And The other thing I say is women leave abortion clinics and go home to the exact same circumstances that brought them in. Mm -hmm. And so abortion harms women and hurts women, and it doesn't alleviate any of those problems. She's still in the abusive relationship. She's still going home, maybe not to a home. Maybe she's homeless, which often does happen with our clients. Um, Maybe she's still unemployed. And so for us, the answer is Let's provide her with stability, get her independent. The goal is always independence and stability for these women because the goal is to empower these women. And and I think that people need to just continue to reject those arguments that they're hearing because they're not rooted in truth. Um, The truth is care for women is saying, how can we help and actually helping and abortion hurts her. It doesn't help her. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, for some people, at least, um, you know, connecting with you and, and other groups and people that are willing to support could be, you know, the step that they needed that they weren't ever going to be able to take any other way. And so I'm sure you guys have lots of great stories of women that have, have worked with you in that way. Um, so we talked about this, um, a couple of weeks ago, but I wanted to just ask you for the listeners, um, since the Roe v. Wade announcement came out, we've heard about some of these myths about ectopic pregnancy potentially being criminalized, miscarriage treatment potentially being criminalized, some of these like things going around, fear-mongering type of stuff. Um, and, I, and I've had one person on already, but I'll say it again to just double down. Can you tell us, is that, are those things true? No, those are not true. I always say, if it sounds crazy and horrible, it's probably not true. Like that's just doesn't make any sense. That sound like something normal human beings would be arguing for. No, like that's just not who we are. And we have to be, I'm getting really adamant about this because I think that we're seeing so many falsehoods and lies on the other side towards us. And, you know, they're really horrible things people are willing to say about us. And that's just not true. Um, so it takes five minutes talking to a pro-life person to see how much they actually like love and care for women. So no, it's not true. If it's crazy and horrible, probably not true. Um, so most laws have exemptions for medical emergencies. I should say there are not many 
medical emergencies that require an abortion. Um, Mm -hmm. Some even go as far as to say there is no medically necessary abortion. And so typically if a woman has preeclampsia or some kind of condition during her pregnancy, the result that a a gynecologist will typically do is early inducement of pregnancy or even an emergency early C-section. But it is very, very, very uncommon. Um, There are very few scenarios that that's necessary. Those scenarios could be things like an ectopic pregnancy um, or a woman who needs treatment for cancer earlier than viability. Um, So those are really the only two scenarios I can think of. And every bill that I know of for the most part has exceptions for those explicitly. And then the other thing I'll add to it is that abortion is the intentional killing of an innocent human being, um, a living human being. And so treatment for a medical diagnosis that's intended to treat and care for the mother is not an abortion. Intent really matters here. And so if the intent is to kill the unborn child, it's an abortion. If it's the intent is to treat an uptopic pregnancy for an unviable child that, um, you know, is medically not living yet, you know, there's issues there. Um, that's not an abortion. And so just to know your terms, know what we're talking about. And I think sticking, sticking to it strongly and saying, you know, we, we love women, we care for women and we're for her. And, and there's very, very few circumstances, if ever that an abortion is required. Yeah. And with ectopic pregnancy treatment also, uh, just speaking with another person that sort of is in the know on this, you know, it's, it's basically like, that's not, I mean, it may seem like an abortion, but it's actually not even like classified as an abortion. It is not. It is like when I talked to the pro-life OBGYN, you know, she's like, I mean, I worked in a Catholic hospital and we did it all the time and they don't do abortions. And so um, it's just sort of a language thing um, that sometimes people, I I understand how people might've been confused about it. Um, and I understand how it sort of like spread like wildfire that this could be a possibility. Um, but I've, it's been great to get clarification so that people understand that like, that's just not a thing <laughs> that's going to happen. Yeah, it's not, it is just a talking point. It's uh-huh. just a talking point used to incite people during this time where tensions are high. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what can people be doing now? I know you have the bill that you mentioned earlier that you're trying to get passed in various states. Um, how can people support some of those things? Yeah. So I think the first thing is that to understand that many, many of your representatives and legislators at the state level and at the federal level care deeply about saving lives and serving women. They care about both um, as most pro-life people do. And so to call them and ask what, what their plan is, what are we going to do in this post-row world that we're looking at? 26 states are set to outlaw abortion almost entirely, if not entirely post-row. But you may be in one of those six or seven states that could do more to protect children in the womb and serve women, um, but don't have anything ready to go. And so I think knowing where your state is going to land on that and being in touch with your elected official, they care deeply. Um, And I think your two questions are, what are we doing to serve women? How can we get a program like Alternatives to Abortion here to serve women? And what are we going to be doing to protect life in a post-row world? And those are two very simple questions um, that everybody wants an answer to. Everybody's looking to, to work on. And so that's that's really good. Um, and then, as I mentioned, we think it's so important to have this infrastructure in place to care for women during this phase because 
you can't just continually protect children in the womb and not expect women to travel out of your state. And so you need something there for them to help keep Mm -hmm. them going, to help them understand it's going to be okay here. Um, And so that's a state type of alternatives to abortion program, services to pregnant women, um, early gynecological care, things like that. And your state policymakers will be really familiar with those programs. Okay. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for filling us in a little bit about the Human Coalition. I'm excited to talk with you more. And um, yeah, just thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's MA in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu hdl.